And good morning. It is Monday, 420, April 20th. Hopefully you had a good weekend. I am doing this right before work. It is like 5.30 in the morning, 6.30. Time is rapidly approaching. So we're going to hop right into Edge of Your Seat Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon LaChance. Thank you for joining us, as always. Do the plugs real quick. Catch us on social media. Facebook, Edge of Your Seat Podcast. Twitter, Edge of Your CP. You can also send us an email, Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can listen to us many different outlets, including Spotify, Apple Music iTunes, and Google Music. Again, appreciate the support and the love, always. It is Monday, so that means Sunday, yesterday, just some hours ago, was the debut of The Last Dance, the 10-part docuseries that ESPN and Netflix have put together on the 97-98 Chicago Bulls. I have been waiting for this forever, or probably about a year, almost a year. Thankfully, they moved up the airtime from, I think it was beginning of June, maybe June 2nd. So they moved it up from June 2nd to April 19th. And thank you very much for doing that. It was awesome to watch. It was appointment TV. Nothing's going on right now. No live sports. We're getting sick of watching the news and hearing about coronavirus. We're all dealing with it. We all know. We had something to look forward to. And that's what this was. It was like a NBA Finals or the World Series was on or the Super Bowl. Everybody was watching. Twitter was ablaze. Facebook everywhere. This was a big deal, especially in our neck of the woods. We are in Illinois. Michael Jordan is everybody's idol, whether you were born when he was playing or not. Everybody knows Michael Jordan. Everybody has seen clips. Everybody has something. Everybody has a jersey or something of Jordan. A shirt, a pair of shoes, since the Nike brand Jordan is everywhere. That's just life in this state. And I'm sure it's like that everywhere else. I've seen polls, I think 75% of a poll that they took, everybody said Michael Jordan was the greatest of all time. And that was from NBA players. And then I saw another survey that was just from basketball fans. 2020, unanimously, Michael Jordan is still the greatest player of all time. And everybody knows that. I will never differ my opinion. I will never say LeBron is better. I will never say KD is better. I will never say anybody is better than Michael Jordan. I'm sorry, I I just never will. I don't think that's a biased opinion. You look at numbers, you look at the rings, you look at everything that he was able to do, Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. But there's some things that drove me crazy. Not about the, the show, I really like the docuseries. It's just, if you went back in time, so when this was all going on, in 97 so before the beginning of the season of the 97 98 campaign i am 11 years old i turned 12 in october of 1997 so i'm 11 years old so i don't know all the background things i don't know about contracts and you know the relationships between the general manager jerry krauss and phil jackson the head coach who is legendary hall of famer Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, all the guys on the Chicago Bulls at that time 
in the whole time that he was there because he took over as general manager in 1985. I didn't know any of that stuff. I was too young. I remember watching the games. Huge Bulls fan since forever. I remember some of the clips that they were showing. I didn't know the behind the scenes stuff. So some of this blew my mind. Like how in 1997 is Scottie Pippen, who is probably at that time, I'm gonna say five to 10 in the NBA rankings. I cannot put him number two. I heard some people, I seen on Twitter, seen on Facebook, a couple of my friends said, hey, he was either the second or third best player in the league. I don't agree with that. Michael Jordan, of course, was one. But you had Carl Malone. You had Shaquille O'Neal, who I put ahead of Scottie Pippen. And we could sit here and go to war with different names. Reggie Miller, Mitch Richmond. You know, I could go to the depths of NBA basketball in 1997. Patrick Ewing, Akeem You know, that was a center game then. So again, it's a different game than it is now. So you have to put that in the factor as well. But Scottie Pippen wherever you want to rank him, was still a top NBA player. I don't think you can put him outside of the top 10. I, I really don't. Not in 1997. He was the 122nd paid player in the NBA. 121 NBA players are getting paid more than him. And it's partly his fault. He signed a seven-year deal in 1991 for $18 million. And in 1991, that was probably awesome. Probably a solid contract. But for seven years, it lost its value. No doubt about that. NBA markets went up. Players were getting paid more money. Going into the 1997-98 season, Luke Longley, I think he was getting paid like $3.8 million for that year, was more than Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen was the sixth most paid player on the Bulls going into that season. Tony Kukoc, Ron Harper, Rodman, Jordan... They were all paid more than him. Crazy. Crazy. So it's partly his fault for signing the contract. And then you have this guy, Jerry Krause, and Jerry Reinsdorf, who is the owner of the Chicago Bulls, who didn't try to restructure. How do you not try to restructure to keep this guy happy? If you watch the docuseries, Scottie Pippen got hurt during the previous season. And instead of getting the surgery that he needed to have done during the offseason, he waited until the season happened. It's like, hey, I wasn't going to waste my summer. And waited till the season because he was upset. He was upset he wasn't getting paid. So he's like, you know what? I'll just do it on the company's time. <laughs> it's pretty much what he said to himself. So then he sits the beginning of the season. And Michael Jordan and the Bulls struggle. They go 0-4 on the road before they finally get a win. And it was against the Clippers, who at that time were awful. God-awful, like an embarrassment, a joke. And they had to go two overtimes, and Michael Jordan had to score 49 points for them to get the W. He says it was tough without Scottie Pippen. Like, he needed him. There was a reason that they were a dynamic duo. There is a reason that when you think of the Bulls, you think Michael Jordan, you think Scottie Pippen right after him. There is a reason, because Scottie Pippen was a great player, and they needed him to win those rings. All six of them, they needed Scottie Pippen. Jerry Krause should have done something to keep that guy happy. Instead, he didn't. And Scottie Pippen was berating him all over the place. There's one thing that you catch on to real quick is that the Chicago Bulls administration front office was awful. How they treated their players, how they conducted business. 
you do have to give him credit for getting that team there. He got Michael Jordan. They made a trade to get Scottie Pippen on draft day. He was originally drafted by the Seattle Supersonics. They made a trade. They got Horace Grant. They made some things, not they, Jerry made some things happen to put this team in place. They brought in Ron Harper, who was after a knee surgery, but still a great player. They brought in shooters. They brought in big guys that they needed to help Michael Jordan down low. He was friends with Charles Oakley. They traded Charles Oakley and brought in Bill Cartwright, who was a better fit for what they were trying to do and the personnel that they had. Jerry Krause did make that happen. He made those moves. But he treated his players awfully because of him, like personal problems. He was a little guy, chubby. Everybody made fun of him. There's tons of clips in this docuseries where Michael Jordan is pretty much disrespecting him Joking in a joking matter, but disrespecting him all the same. And there's a good reason why. It's because of how he treated his players. What I don't get is the very beginning of this. Phil Jackson calls it the last dance because he's pretty much told, this is your last year here. Jerry Krause tells Phil Jackson, you're not going to be here after this year. He actually tried to get rid of him the year before. But he says, hey, this is your last year. So that's why it's called the last dance because that's what Phil Jackson named it because he knew he wasn't going to be here. Michael Jordan goes, hey, if Phil Jackson's not going to be here, I don't want to play for another coach, so I'm not going to play in Chicago. Actually, I'm not going to play at all if I'm not playing for Phil Jackson. So heading into the 97-98 season, they all knew that this was the last go-around. Scottie Pippen knew if he wanted to get paid that he wasn't going to be with the Chicago Bulls. He wasn't going to be part of the rebuild. And I say rebuild like after the Jordan era, after the Phil Jackson era. Scottie Pippen's like, I'm not going to be here for that either. So they all left, like everybody left. We're not to that point yet. Season has just started in the docuseries. They played part one and part two. Then every Sunday moving forward, they're going to play two more episodes of it. So for the next four Sundays, we have something to look forward to. But going back to Jerry Krause, like I don't understand why the owner, Reinsdorf, didn't step in. So he kind of took a side and he stood by Jerry Krause instead of listening to Phil Jackson, Scottie Pippen, or Michael Jordan. Why didn't he tell them, like, no, let's listen to these guys. Let's get Scottie Pippen some more money. Let's restructure his contract. Instead, he's like, no, there is no restructuring. He kind of said that on the docuseries, like live, like him, in an interview or a conversation when they're talking to him. He's like, oh, we didn't really do a lot of restructuring. It's like, you signed the contract. I do not believe when he said, oh, I, I told him that that's not a good contract to sign. Why would you give a player... A bad contract and then be okay with that and then expect him to be happy through the whole process of the seven-year contract which is unheard of now nobody would ever sign a seven-year contract unless it's crazy money and obviously it wasn't crazy money complained the whole time and he was the 122nd highest paid player in the NBA insane but why didn't Jerry Reinsdorf overstep crowds if he understood like why did that have to be Phil Jackson's last year like, why push out the greatest player in the history of the NBA, Michael Jordan? Why don't you step in and say, look, Jerry, we want to keep winning. We want to bring these championships. Then we need to keep these guys here. We need to keep them happy. Didn't do any of that. Instead, he stood by Jerry Krause, which, I mean, that's cool too, I guess. But we know what happens. They all leave. And besides the Derrick Rose era which honestly was probably about three years 
The Bulls have been horrible, kind of hard to watch. Irrelevant basketball for the most part, especially the last couple years. I will never understand why Jerry Reinsdorf didn't stick by his coach and players and be like, hey man, you guys need to make this work. Jerry, we're not going by your craziness. And then instead he went by the craziness and the Bulls fall off so hard after this 97-98 season. One cool little thing that I really loved was common short stories. They were doing like little short stories and trivias and stuff before commercial breaks or after commercial breaks and things like that. Common tells a story about how he was, he worked with the team when he was younger. He was like a ball boy or something. And there was this kid that wanted to get Michael Jordan's autograph. So he gives this wristband or armband to Common and goes, hey, can you get him to sign this? I'll give you $5. So he gives Common $5. Common takes it to Michael Jordan. And Jordan's like, hey, why don't you sign it? So he signs it and he spells Michael's name wrong. So he had to give the kid the $5 back because he was caught in his forgery. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious though. But if you have not seen it, the first two parts, please go and see it. I'm sure they'll play replays all the time. I know they did Sunday night after it was over. It's great and you gotta continue watching because man, this is a part of history time that we will not get back and it was some of the greatest basketball ever. And part three, episode three, whatever you wanna call it, is Dennis Rodman. So you know it's gonna get exciting from there on. And like the groundwork, the behind the scenes stuff is already been laid out. Like we know the stuff with Jerry Krause now. We know the stuff with Jerry Reinsdorf and how the players didn't appreciate the front office and vice versa. How they didn't feel like the front office wanted to keep them there. So now with all that laid out, you see how it plays out to the end when everybody leaves. It's going to be pretty interesting. I'm excited for the rest of this to come, especially with part three being Dennis Rodman. That is going to be nuts. And I'm interested to see who they bring in for interviews. I know before all the Corona stuff and when it was still set to come out in June that they were advertising interviews with all kinds of people, not just the Bulls. They had Isaiah Thomas. They had Magic Johnson. All bunch of people to come in and talk about the Bulls, Jordan, Pippen, all the stuff going on at that time. I don't know if they still did that and how it's going to be incorporated. I'm interested to see how that works out too. What I know you're interested to see how it's gonna work out is renovations with your own home. In this time of quarantine, thanks to COVID-19, or not thanks to COVID-19, you may start to see a few things that could be updated around your home. Whether it's a light fixture or an entire kitchen remodel, Olson Construction is here to help. The family owned and operated company prides itself in offering family prices with family honesty. Olson Construction specializes in roofing, siding, windows and doors, deck designs, remodels, and garage and room addition. Owner Keith Milas has been in construction for over 10 years and is willing and able to take care of your home renovations from start to finish with your thoughts and opinions taken with every step of the journey. For a free estimate, call Olson Construction, which is fully licensed and insured at 815-910-5982. You can also contact Olson Construction on Facebook at the Olson Construction LLC page or email olsonconstruction19 at gmail.com. Since I have to get to work to make sure the lights for the 
Edge of Your Seat Podcast Studio, stay on. Gonna keep this short, just wanted to talk about The Last Dance, which I am super pumped up about. And we have to get to the main event, which is very, very special. I can't believe I haven't mentioned it yet. I just was so excited about The Last Dance, but I was so excited about this conversation with Dawn Williams and Diane Vanderkoy, who are part of Special Olympics through the Law Enforcement Torch Run, which is a very cool thing, helping out special needs kids, and they are definitely all in, full of excitement for this program, for the things that they are doing, and they made me... First of all, they opened my eyes with some of the things that they were saying about the program and the money that they bring in, donating for these kids who deserve to be able to play sports just like the rest of us. And it is a very special cause. It is a very special thing that is happening in their lives and the people that are around them. So very awesome to do that conversation with them. It was pretty amazing. Pumped up about this one. And hopefully you are too. Enjoy. That's all I can say. I'm not going to tell you any more what they say. They said it the best themselves. Well, with that said, I'm going to get out of here. We'll be back on Wednesday. I have tons of interviews this week. already got three in the books. Tons of awesome shows coming. Please keep listening and enjoy. I love and appreciate the support that you guys have shown Edge of Your Sleep Podcast. Until next time, peace. There's not a lot of excitement going on right now. I mean, we're all stuck in our homes, trying to get by as best as we can. I feel like that may have been my intro for probably the last like two weeks of podcast. But as always, great, amazing people to talk to. And this subject, this topic that we are going to speak about today has me super excited. Wanted to do this a little while ago, but I'm kind of glad it got kind of delayed sort of kind of so we can spend as much time as we want to talking about special olympics something i have been very interested in for quite a long time my guest with me i got a duo here that is going to bring nothing but awesomeness dawn williams and diane vanderkoy how are you guys today all right excited to be with you brandon thanks for having us on your show of course i'm probably more excited to have you as guests So we'll start with Dawn. Dawn, I'm starting with you because I know you pretty well. You were a volleyball coach for St. Bede and for Hall. We got to know each other real well. So let's just start. What are we going to talk about today with Special Olympics? How did you get involved? I got involved because of my son, Michael, who has autism. And when he was about 11 years old, he was down here in Springfield in Hope School. And they got him started with track and field. And that boy fell in love with being a runner, and then he wanted to play basketball because, you know, he grew up with Grandpa Don Carlson as basketball coach, and I coach basketball, so he wanted to be a Hoosier, so we got started with Michael, and it's just going from there. He went from two sports to now doing eight or nine sports, and we're going year-round, and he's uh, enjoying being a competitor, being an athlete. The more I'm involved, the more I'm just amazed at the people who support these special needs kids so that anybody who wants to be involved in athletic competition can be involved no matter what level you are. And so he's now doing snowshoeing and flag football and volleyball and golf and just keeps us busy all the time. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. All of us love to play sports. Well, not all of us, but a great majority of our country 
are athletes or wanted to be athletes or tried to be athletes somewhere on the spectrum throughout our lives. Unfortunately for, you know, kids like this, they really don't have the chance to be a starter on a varsity basketball team or something like that. So what does the Special Olympics offer these kids? I mean, it's got to be a special opportunity for them to be able to do what everybody said they couldn't. Exactly. Well, it's huge. Like, Michael's gotten to be on basketball teams that can say, I went to state and got fourth place or second place or Diana's coached teams that, you know, gotten first place at state. You know, it's that sense of pride that comes with being an athlete to say, I got to be involved. I got to do this. And it's just so cool to see all ages and all levels. You know, we were at snowshoeing and there's a blind man out there. And he is running with a rope and a baton and a guideline, and people are holding the line for him. And he's racing right there with anybody else out there snowshoe racing. I mean, it's just so cool that we have weightlifters that, you know, I watch Ben Simpson, who's one of our ambassadors for Special Olympics. And Ben's out there doing videos and weightlifting, and he's now an assistant coach. And, and he's a young man who you just cheer for him. You're so excited to see what he's doing. And he's motivating other athletes who, like you said, would not get a chance to play on a high school team with the typical functioning teams, but gets to do his own thing and, and be out there. It's just so cool. Chatham Chargers this last football season, Diane organized with our Glenwood High School football team that our boys got to go to meet the Titans night and run a play with the high school football team. That just meant the world to Michael and, and all his teammates to be out there with the high school athletes and be on the field and, and run a play with them. And it's just something they really value. It just warms my heart as a mom, as a coach, to see these kids have these opportunities. It's, it's fantastic. And it's so much fun. Oh, my gosh, we have a blast. They're, they're just so fun to coach and, and so fun to work with. That kind of brings up a good point. I mean, sometimes we are, as kids or even, you know, as we get older and as adults, we are hard-headed. We don't take coaching well. We know everything. We're right. You are wrong. That kind of deal. With kids in this, you know, position, having an opportunity to do something, you know, they probably didn't think they were going to get. Are they more kind of considerate of the fact and more coachable and easier to be around? In many respects, yes. I mean, we still run into issues and challenges that we have to work out and overcome, just like anybody else. But overall, you know, they're out there high-fiving the opposition. You know, they're having fun. Michael, we're at state basketball a couple years ago. The official called a foul on him. Instead of getting mad, Michael knew it was right. Michael's running down the court, and he high-fives the official at midcourt and says, good call, and goes back and plays defense. You don't see that happen in a high school 17-year-old, you know, it's like, attaboy, Michael, you know, this it's just a different kind of sportsmanship because they they are happy to be out there. I think they respect the opportunity and it's not quite as, it's, it's not quite as same level of competition, you know what I mean? It's, it's just different. I mean, I coach high school athletes, they're great kids, I love them, I love coaching high school ball, and I love turning around and coaching the Special Olympics, it's just it's just a different mindset. It's just a different different approach. Definitely. I can see that. Diane, thank you for joining the show, by the way. Well, thank you for having us. So how long have you been involved with the law enforcement torch run? 
concepts, my early conception of being a young trooper in 19, uh, graduating in 1990 from Illinois State Police Academy and assigned to the Tollway, which is up in um, the Oak Brook area. I'm originally from Lake County. We had liaisons in each state police district, and we have 22 districts. So I was very fortunate that our, the district that I was assigned to had a liaison assigned to the law enforcement torch run uh, for Special Olympics of Illinois and kind of got mentored by him and got a good taste of everything, knowing that I came from an educational background because I was a school teacher before becoming a state police officer as a phys ed teacher and also as a high school coach in any sports and also collegiate coach and a collegiate player. It fit my niche from the very, very beginning and I've come full circle to say the least. And this was back in 1990. I don't want to date you, but I was five years old then. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so thank you for that much dedication and, you know, involvement in something that seems really awesome. Yes, it's a passion and it's something that feeds my soul. A lot of personal reasons. Back in 1954, family immigrated from the Netherlands after World War II. My aunt was left behind because she was Down syndrome. So, did, you know, even back then in 54 and up until, not until 68, when Una Shriver took over and brought Special Olympics to the forefront, many those with disabilities were institutionalized or not welcomed into our country and other countries because of their disabilities. So um, have a vested interest from a long time ago. Definitely. Now explain to us exactly what the Law Enforcement Torch Run is or what it means to you. Sure. Law Enforcement Torch Run is an annual interstate relay um, that's basically conducted by the law enforcement officers um, throughout our state, which is over 400 agencies that we have involved. It benefits Special Olympics Illinois. It is uh, the single largest fundraiser uh, for Special Olympics Illinois. It is uh, organized internationally by the International Chiefs of Police and uh, involves approximately about 3,000 law enforcement officers, covers about 115 miles, and includes nearly 400 different agencies representing uh, police sheriffs, state police, campus police, airport, corrections, conservation, highway safety, FBI, ATF, and many, many, many more agencies. So it is basically a fundraising engine and also awareness for Special Olympics. So combining the funds that we raise on our end and the funds that also Special Olympics raises on their end brings the pool together to provide everything and anything uh, an athlete needs to participate at large competitions. Illinois is the largest uh, fundraising organization in basically the entire world. So we rock it. So not just nationally, internationally, the whole world. The whole world. I got to experience that firsthand because I was, you know, I started at grassroots at the local level then moved on to the state committee and also was very fortunate. Now I'm moving on to the international stadium of, of that all. And I was able to represent Illinois Law Enforcement Torch Run in Abu Dhabi at, in the United Emirates last March in 2019 for the World Games, the Summer World Games. And it was very interesting because, you know, I, there was over 112 of us officers from around the the world that were running every day for 14 days to torch around the United Emirates through the seven cities. I got 
asked time and time again, how does Illinois do it? You know, and, it, it, and we're basically grassroots. We don't have any major corporations funding us like a lot of other states. It's all done from the law enforcement officers in the state of Illinois, which is just unknown, unheard. And people ask us how you how we do it all the time. In that environment, obviously Special Olympics, it's the World Games. You're being asked these questions about, let's face it, Illinois is not number one in a lot of things. Our state kind of gets dumped on a lot about a lot of stuff and, you know, sort of kind of deservedly so at some times. But how did that make you feel as being an Illinoisan representing what you have been able to do the whole, you know, organization with the law enforcement torch run to be asked those questions like, how do you do it? That had to make you feel pretty special in the you know company you keep. Very humbled and very proud is how I felt. And just, you know, talking one-on-one with uh, the different countries that I was um, very proud to be on a team of 10. So there was 10 teams with 10 officers from each and every country and that you can imagine. So just hearing some of the other states that we have national teams, um, officers from different states. Some of my teammates were from California, Ohio. And then I had international teammates from Canada and from uh, Hong Kong. And so it was very interesting just hearing some of the things that they were doing and then them hearing some of the things that we were doing, the collaboration. And no one was really patting anybody on the back, and <laughs> nor was I, but just learning from each other of what we were doing. So maybe in the future, we're all doing kind of more of the same things to make the Law Enforcement Torchwood International as you know, more than what it can be, and and continuing growing what we're doing in the state of Illinois too. Now, was it also interesting to see, I guess, interaction between Special Olympic athletes from one country to another? Was that kind of a special thing to witness? It was very special, but to tell you the truth, um, sports at any level really levels the playing field. If that makes any sense, everybody's there to play sports. And once you have that commonality, it just is amazing how you just function on that, all that same level that we're all here. It's the same but different. And that everybody functions on the same level because sports really does level the playing field of commonality and unity and so many wonderful respect for one another and unification of doesn't matter if we don't know each other's language, but we do know the rules of the, of the sport. Dawn, through your time, you know, obviously coaching and being the mother of Michael, being around Special Olympics, are these some of the things that you've seen as well, even you know, in the States, with how the Special Olympic athletes treat each other and how they go about the business of sports? Oh, absolutely. As I was listening to Diane, I just was thinking of so many times, like when you're, you know, just like in a regular, I've been to state track with athletes at, at the high school level, and they're nervous, and they're waiting for their state event, and then they go to line up in a tent, and they're waiting at the tent for the start of their event. When you're at state track with uh, Special Olympics, they're, they're going through those same feelings. They're nervous about their race. They're excited. They go and they sit and wait in a tent near the starting line to get, you know, wait to get their heat called. They line up. They go race. People on the sidelines are cheering just as hard at State Special Olympics as people down at, at Charleston are cheering for uh, state regular high school 2A, 
you know, mile run or whatever. You know, it's not as big of a crowd, but it's still a huge crowd. You know, like Diane says, it's a very common feeling, very common emotion. When they're handing out the medals, so many people, we have tears in our eyes. You know, you, you see that, that kid who struggled to finish a race, and you're clapping for that last place kid just as hard as you're clapping for that first place kid. You know, it's just amazing. At all the events, the police officers are there. The athletes, especially our kids, I think it's so important that they get to see the police officers as their friend, as their supporter, as someone safe. And and that that just gives them a really positive outlook on the law enforcement officials that are in their life. I, I have some very cool pictures of Michael with some state troopers, not only at Uh, Special Olympics events, but at events where Diane has taken Michael and other global messengers, because Michael's a global messenger for Special Olympics Illinois, and there's a whole crew of these young athletes that they take to different events, and Diane takes many of them to speak to the troopers so that they can hear these kids' stories. Michael speaks at uh, Knights of Columbus events and just different events across central Illinois, and that builds his self-esteem, it builds his confidence, it gives him a whole other outlook on the world that he would never have known about, getting to interact with these folks, and to see how the state troopers embrace our athletes, they high-five them, they hug them, it's just a wonderful win-win situation for everybody. You know, I do see, like she says, it just opens doors to these kids that they wouldn't have otherwise. Otherwise, they'd be sitting home doing, you know, whatever else. But they look forward to Michael's got it already on his calendar. As soon as they give the go-ahead, that boy's ready to get back out there. You know, he's, he, he can't wait to get to the next sport and get going again. It's just become a huge part of his life. That brings up a good question for either one of you to answer. Through this corona quarantine and, you know, our lives all being put on hold, have you guys heard a lot of, I guess they wouldn't be complaints, but just comments about, hey, we're ready to get back out there. Let's do this. Yeah, I'm hearing from our athletes, not only on the international and local level, but also as an athletic director for Special Olympics in this area for the Chatham Chargers. It's just very it's frustrating, it's disheartening, and I'm hearing and seeing, but Special Olympics Illinois has, has been doing a really good, good job. If anybody goes to org and looks up what, what they're doing for athletes, they have uh, dance nights on, uh, that are viral on, like, a Zoom, and they, they're promoting athletes to show what they're doing as far as their workouts. Uh, their nutrition, what they're doing as far as what they're eating, and we've got some athletes out there cooking and, and doing uh, videos and things like that. I think we're going to come out this really well at the end, and I think it's going to bring us bigger and better together, and, and we're all new, learning new ways that, you know, how to keep on this glorious event of Special Olympics um, on a different level. Absolutely. Well, I know... The first wave of disappointment was this all got announced just the week before state basketball and huge disappointment because the kids, you know, Diane's Chatham Chargers had teams ready, you know, qualified for state. Our Springfield Park District had teams qualified for state. And so we had to have that, you know, reality conversation with our athletes explaining what's going on in the world. And so they had to learn something much bigger than them of 
we have to keep people safe. We have to worry about other people. It's not just about missing this state competition. It's about being safe because many in our population have vulnerable health conditions. And so even though people were disappointed, that was the conversation in our house was like, Michael, you would feel horrible if we'd have state and then a whole bunch of people got sick and maybe even a few of your friends possibly died because we had this, you know, and we have kids with respiratory issues and whatever. And then he understood. He's like, okay, mom, we have to do this to keep our friends safe. I'm like, yes. And he's like, how long is it going to last? I'm like, I don't know. But we're going to take care of our family and we're going to take care of our community by staying home and staying safe. And he understood that. And like Diane said, Special Olympics Illinois has done a great job. They post daily videos of people working out. The kids can, you know, go on and work out with those videos. And, and so just as a community, understanding that we want to keep our friends safe, we want to keep our fellow athletes safe, I think was a big message to help everybody get through that disappointment, you know. And then when they said, you know, we're not going to have summer games, Summer games is a huge number of sports. I don't even know all the sports. I know it's track and field, it's swimming, it's bocce ball, it's soccer, gymnastics, powerlifting. In mid-June, that's already been canceled, too. And again, out of caution and safety for the health and welfare of our community of athletes. So it's been just disappointing, but I think the kids understand. You know, the more we talk and they understand that global community is more important than that one event and that we will get back and we'll be okay and like diane said we're going to come out stronger in the long run because i think we're going to be more unified than even before and two other things i want to state too is that special olympics is not just the united states it's like i said internationally and so we're basically going off of international standards because you know, we have many, many, many countries that are still in dire needs and, and in bad situations with their population, which includes those um, with uh, intellectual disabilities. And so we can't start things fairly here in Illinois. Somebody in Africa or in Russia or in, in Canada still have athletes or people that are quarantined. It's just, it's so I'm really proud of being a part of the bigger picture and knowing that and being able to tell my families here in Illinois that we're so much bigger than just Illinois. We're global, Special Olympics, it's global. And to put that in front of them that way, it kind of kills people out and makes them realize, you, you know what, you're right. You know, we're, we can't start things until everybody's okay. And then the second thing, too, was, you know, we're going off of here in Illinois, what uh, the Illinois High School School Association was kind of doing with their sports, because Illinois is very heavily involved with Unified Special Olympics, which includes participating at IHSA tournaments um, in basketball, bass fishing, and some other sports. And so when they had to cancel, we had to cancel too, because we also here in Chatham have a few athletes that are participating in the Unified Special Olympics program also. Law enforcement torch run, is that once a year? No, it's all year round. Um, a lot of people think that it's just in June, the second week before the summer games in Bloomington, where we run the torch through 22 different legs that 
lead into Bloomington in, in June, but it actually is a year-round fundraising uh, where we do all kinds of great stuff like uh, the airplane pools. We've got one up in, in O'Hare that we do. We fundraise money there. The polar plunges, there's 22 polar plunges throughout the state of Illinois. And um, fortunately, Springfield got right there underneath the wire. We were one of the last polar plunges to be able to get our polar plunge in before the virus struck. And uh, truck convoys, which involves Illinois Truckers Association, very huge. It raised uh, you know a lot of money and cops on the rooftop for Dunkin' Donuts. 50 O at the uh, Dirty O, which is a huge um, fundraiser also up in the Chicagoland area. Law Enforcement Torchfront Illinois has many huge fundraising events that raise you know thousands and thousands of dollars to get us to our goal. Last year was 5.3 million, a little bit over 5.3 million. Yeah, we're very busy at the grassroots level doing everything and anything we can to raise money for Special Olympics Illinois. Don't a lot of the officers also donate their own money? Because I know when you take Michael to speak at events, the officers there are passing around and, and giving donations right there at those events too when the boys are speaking. So the officers not only give us their time, they're also donating their own money as well. It's it's really amazing. That's fantastic. Did I hear you right? You said $5.3 million raised last year? Yes, sir. It is our largest. And uh, we it's us in the top of the, of the world again. You know, it's kind of cool stuff. $5.3 million. Sorry, I keep saying that number. That is huge. <laughs> it is huge. <laughs> and we're very proud to have done that. And uh, we just hope to meet that, um, you know, the next year. And, you know, it might be a little bit different. We, you know, we'll have to see. But uh, we'll do our best to match that or even do better. That's fantastic. Me, personally, Edge of Your Seat Podcast is paying dues, credits, uh, however you want to say, to the law enforcement and the people that donate to that. That is absolutely amazing. Thank you. I'm kind of like... On behalf of law enforcement torture in Illinois, thank you so much for saying that. It's our honor, actually. It really is. I'm like baffled. (laughs) That's, That's huge. So law enforcement torture on is just a little part of Special Olympics, right? Just kind of like a, a branch that feeds into it? Right. In 1986, it started in Wichita, Kansas. Well, Illinois, it started in 86, but it's basically started on the whims of, uh, or the thought of uh, Ray, Chief Ray LeMunion from Wichita, Kansas. He saw a need um, for those with intellectual disabilities, and Eunice Shriver had started Special Olympics, and he he knew this would bring his uh, law enforcement officers um, closer to his community, and it would be a way for them to do some community outreach and give something back to those that needed uh, our help. And from there, they raised under a thousand, maybe you know, maybe fourteen hundred dollars or less. I can't remember the exact amount, but from there, it just grew, and now it's internationally. So it kind of started in in Kansas, and then it just spread out from there throughout the whole world. We're very fortunate to be celebrating next uh, year in 2021, milestone of um, how many years we're going to be doing it since uh, 1986 here. And we're very pleased and very excited about it. How many years will that be? Well, it started a little bit before that. Illinois started in 86. It's going to be our 40th anniversary. And I guess, guess who gets to host it if it goes? Do we? Illinois, yes. Yes. And Chicago. Awesome. 
That's awesome. fantastic. Awesome. And I'm on the planning committee for that, so that's pretty exciting. Since talking to you two, I am now proud to be an, an Illinoisan. Not that I wasn't before, but I'm more proud to be an Illinoisan. The governor, uh, Pritzker, has actually made a decree of a special Olympics day here in Illinois. He had us out at the mansion last year. can't remember the date that we were all out there, but he made a decree that on that date that it would be Special Olympics Day. So we're going to be acknowledged every year because of our current governor and first lady. She was a big part of that. What I've always liked about Special Olympics is it made everybody equals. Like, you can look at certain things, different parts of life, and there's always, like, classes or bar here, bar there, and some people are under, some people are over. I always felt that Special Olympics was fair and equal to everybody. Is that true? Is that correct? Yes, it is. And like I said, sports uh, really does level the playing field for everyone. They have different divisions, so, you know, you can compete at a division within your skill abilities so you know people who are in wheelchairs or people who have to use walkers or prosthetic devices or whatever they're able to compete with people at their level and you know people who have other strengths you know there's a whole range and it's so awesome to see and all the levels are so exciting to watch because you're right it, it levels it out and you know even I think it's got to be tricky when they're figuring out state basketball because there's over 100 games going on in those that weekend. And they, they have all the divisions where, you know, you're trying to, you're, you're playing people that are pretty equal. I mean, last year at state, there were one-point games, two-point games. You know, they, they were so close and so tight. So I give a lot of kudos to the people who have to figure out those divisions and try to keep things evenly matched so that you are competing you know, within your, your ability range. It's it's amazing how they can do it, but they, they got a good system. What we're finding out, too, is a lot of our Special Olympic athletes are running as good or better times competitions than track and field uh, as traditional athlete counterparts. And we're finding out, too, that um, more schools are seeing this, and because of the education that's being put out by Special Olympics Illinois for unified champion schools, being more involved of this, that um, here in Chatham, we've got some athletes that are going to be participating with their traditional athletes in their schools as their counterparts, but then also participation with Special Olympics when that season rolls around, because they're that good. There's some athletes that are that good to be a unified partner. And that's the whole premise of where Special Olympics wants to go in the next, you know, you know, years is that, you know, look at those wonderful Special Olympic athletes over there instead of going, I want to be a part of them. That's what we're really pushing here in our all Chatham school district. I can't tell you how much openness our community and, and the schools are to our Special Olympic athletes and, and how many student volunteers that I, sh I have show up from Sunday to Sunday wanting to be a part of them and play with them and help coach them and help with wherever it may be. And that's where the world needs to be and where we need to go as a society is that it's not them and us, it's we're together, we're unified. You know, we, the inclusion revolution is just not a hashtag. It, it really is where I think a lot of people want to go nowadays. 
That's what I was kind of getting at when I kind of said a level playing field is not just as athletes, but as human beings as well. I mean, I will use me as an example. I think I was 15, 15 or 16, and I was an athlete. I played basketball, things like that. And I helped a Special Olympics event with, I was a member of the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. And a big brother had known somebody that was a Special Olympics athlete. So we went and we did this thing. And going into it, I was like, man, what am I doing? I have no idea. I got into it, got there, got to, I think it was at a YMCA or a a facility like that. And I was part of it. And it was just eye opening, jaw dropping, all of that stuff all at the same time. Like these athletes are athletes too. You know, they're human beings too. And sometimes maybe, maybe unintentionally, we don't look at it like that. Right. And that's like my son, Michael, he's got a very athletic body. But his cognitive disability with his autism makes it difficult for him to be in the regular mainstream education process. And he's needed the support systems that he's had through special needs services. But when he gets out there and competes, he's out there just like any other kid, giving his best and doing what he can. Brandon, when you were talking about that, it made me think about it. Michael likes to run 5K road races. And he's out there in a 5K road race, and he is just like everybody else. They don't look and say, there's a special needs kid, there's a regular kid. But this year, he, for the second year in a row, he ran the Titan Trek, which is Ball Chatham School District's 5K road race. And they let him speak as a global messenger for Special Olympics. It was really cool to see how well he was received in that, quote, regular setting. You know, he was literally just like everybody else. But if it weren't for his Special Olympics background of getting to be at competitions, he probably would have never been able to do that with a large group of people. You know, it's like when he was younger, he could have never been in a a group of a couple of hundred runners and sustained his attention and behavior and everything and gotten through it and done well. And yet he did. And the community here was just so encouraging and so inviting that I've already heard several, Diane, I don't know if you've heard it, but several of our Chatham Chargers kids next year want to run 5K or they want to walk the 1K or run the 1K, you know, and because Michael did that, now others wanted to do it. And because Ball Chatham School District is very moving towards that inclusion, we're seeing more and more, you know, it just, it all works together. The more Special Olympics athletes are given a chance in the regular setting, and the more our regular setting kids work with our Special Olympics kids, they see we're all just people. We're all just people. And and we're just having fun and, and enjoying sports together. That's the whole the whole mission right there is just give everybody a chance. And because Special Olympics used to just be sports for Special Olympic athletes and for, you know, those with intellectual disabilities. And now it's moving towards not only that, but also that Unified Champion Schools provides significant positive outcomes for so many participants and can play an important supporting role in state, district, and individual schools' goals and that they have of inclusion and what a greater platform than sports, you know, sports. It's all about that. It just levels the playing field. If you ask me, there's no better, greater stage than sports, never. Yeah, yeah. So we hope to, um, that was another little not a little, um, but uh, Law Enforcement Torch Run um, has three goals set for themselves in the next few years that um, 
very uh, honored to be on the Unified Champion School bandwagon to get more law enforcement officers involved in the schools to promote Special Olympics and to get more students and student-led programs for um, towards those with intellectual disabilities. We used to work with the DARE program of getting kids off drugs and keeping them off drugs with the law enforcement. And then moving or the bullying and the cyberbullying and, and the, the computers and all the screen time stuff, that can, bad things that can happen. And, you know, that's good. We need to keep moving that way. But law enforcement can move also in the areas of including, um, helping, including in the schools, those with intellectual and physical disabilities. We're very excited about that, and I'm, I'm very proud to be a part of that that movement now with the law enforcement portion. So not only is Special Olympics moving forward in a lot of new different genres, but also the law enforcement portion wants to move with them and beside them. And I think that's what makes us unique here in Illinois. What I come to find out is that we're very much tied in and very communicative with our Special Olympic program with the law enforcement portion program, where a lot of law enforcement portion programs don't know who their Special Olympic go-to people are, their CEOs and things like that, whereas Illinois, we're working daily basis. I actually am on a, a Zoom tomorrow with the committee talking about where we're at right now and where we'll be going. So there's constant communications here in Illinois on other programs that benefit not only our communities, our schools, um, but our athletes and where we're going in the future. As a mom and as a coach, it is amazing to be a part of this. And Diane, it's been a blessing to move down here and get more involved and see what all's going on from the inside because I didn't even know a lot of this existed if it weren't for Michael, you know, getting involved and then you, you have this way of just wrapping everybody into it. And that's what works is it's networking. And, and the more people network and the more people share the joy of what we're doing, you just, you can't even imagine it until you get involved. You know, it's just something that, you know, you know if you just hear about it, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's another sports thing. But you get involved and you just see that it's so much more. And it's such an exciting movement to be involved in. You've definitely piqued my interest in, in knowing about this, and I'm thank you for all the information both of you have shared. This has been an eye-opener, definitely. Cool. Well, like I said, I just can't say enough. It's just, you know, listeners going to specialolympics.org um, and click and going on there, and, you know, there's so many tabs up there saying how you can get your yourself involved, get your schools involved, get your people that you know or your personal people that are in your families that um, would like to start Special Olympics, that is the biggest thing is, is once people know about it, it's a no-brainer. Believe it or not, so many people that still don't know what Special Olympics is all about and what the law enforcement torch run is all about. So the more education you get out there, the, the better it's just going to keep on going. So go to the website, and you can, there's so much great information to uh, have your um, listeners go further out and to uh, be, become a part of, even coaching and volunteering. So we have volunteer coaches, volunteer helpers at events. Um, Special Olympics Illinois hosts 17 different sports, I and mean, we even have equestrian, softball, basketball, flag football, and it just goes on and on. So anything that somebody's interested, they can find a place where they can be involved in Special Olympics Illinois. It's an amazing organization. 
Awesome. Very cool. I'm glad you got involved, Dawn. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. My, Michael changed my world in so many ways. I'm still coaching high school volleyball at, at Glenwood High School. And then, my goodness, my weekends are very full going from sport to sport. I, I was telling Diane the other day, most of our Saturdays are usually three sports, three for Michael and fourth one for me. And so it's kind of been nice to get a little rest here for a few weeks, but we're ready to get up and go again. We, we are ready to go. Yeah, we Anytime. are. We are ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I said that too. I was like, okay, a day of rest, awesome. Day two, cool. Two months, way too much. It's been a long time. Yep, we're, we're ready anytime. But again, we want to keep people healthy and safe. And like Diane said earlier, you have to be wise about these things. You can't just, you know, go for one area and not the others. You have to be ready to go as an organization, not just individuals. Yep. It's a community. Even after the coronavirus is supposedly cleared and we can get back to normal i think it's going to be a new normal and correct me if i'm wrong but that's going to affect special olympics as well too because of you know pre-existing conditions and things like that am i correct for sure for sure yeah i know as a coach you know at my practices i'm going to make sure my coaches are all aware of hygiene 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 you know it's going to be huge just a lot of little windows that we're going to try changing to make things a little bit better and safer for everyone well, thank you, ladies, for joining Edge of Your Seat Podcast. This was awesome. I love this episode already, and I haven't even listened to it again. <laughs> thank you, Brandon, for including us. Thank you so much. No problem. Have a great night. You too. Hey, can I end the podcast with our Special Olympic Ghost? Please do. <laughs> All right. So, Don, you can uh, join in, and Brandon, you too. Let me win. Let me win. But if I cannot win... But if I, I cannot win, win, let me be brave in the attempt. Let, let me, me be brave, brave in the attempt. attempt. Thank you, guys. That's awesome. Thank you.